0: Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of Let's Talk All Things LGBTQ+, where everyone has a voice. I'm Annie McKinnon, an authenticity coach, therapist, speaker, writer and podcaster. And if you would like to get to know me a bit better, visit my website www.coachingcart.com And if you would like to get in touch or even feature on the show, then send me over an email to info at coachingcart.com I would also be really grateful if you could rate the show so that we can get these amazing conversations out to as many people as possible. Today, I'd like to introduce you to a fellow Scot, Frank McGowan. Frank is a filmmaker, producer, director, editor, entrepreneur and presenter. Frank has an amazing array of stories to tell, some funny and some harrowing. That aside, he has risen to success in both his personal and professional life. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Frank. So welcome to the show, Frank. I'm really pleased to have you on here, being a fellow uh, Scot. Uh, it's not often I get to talk to a Scottish person, so this is
1: really delighting me today. <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show, Annie. It's it's great to be on the show. I've listened to quite a few episodes now and I'm loving what you're doing. So yeah, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, that's really nice to hear. Thanks, Frank. So you are a filmmaker, producer, director, media personality and musician from Glasgow, and your media company is Bad Pony Media, correct? <laughs> Great stuff, and I'm sure we've we've got a lot to talk about today. But before we get into that, Frank, I'd like to ask you a question that I'm asking all my, my guests on Season 3, and that is, when was the last time you were surprised
1: or shocked? Well, there's quite a few answers I could give, both negative and positive, but the last time I was surprised in a good way, um, so to speak, was um, there was a little boy, who lives not too far from me and you know the streets are getting you know dirtier you know just because of, like you know the bins aren't getting picked up as much and bins are blown over when it's windy it's always windy in Glasgow and this wee boy um, basically decided with a group of his pals that he was going to get together and go and pick up the litter in the street and before you know it that turned into a, a whole local drive where he got all the schools even some of the old people came out um, some of the volunteers from the local area and everybody got together and just started picking it up and it was so surprising that it was just this wee boy, I think he was only six and he was like, Mummy, I want to do that and it reminded me of when I was a kid and I said Mum, I want to be a director and they were like, yeah, sure, sorry, okay, some kind of thing but the fact that the community responded so well and, you know, it surprised me in a really good way because I was like, there is good people out there doing good things because the newspaper that day was full of all these negative stories and that one positive story stood out to me. And the fact that it was just this wee boy, had a wee idea, um, you know, wanted to change something in his community, got off his bum and done it. And it was just really nice to see that. So that's so that surprised me in a good way the media were really, really kind and they actually donated to the the drive and they gave them the tools to go out and do it. So it's now a regular thing as well and loads of people are getting involved with it. So that was really nice to see. That's
0: so inspiring. And I think that little boy will go, will go far, but just that message inspiring other people in the community to come together and clean up the area is just really nice to hear. I really love that one. So growing up in Glasgow, Frank, as I said, we've got a lot to cover, but I'd like to just ask you, where did it all start? I mean, you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community, Mm -hmm. and I'm just really interested to hear how that was for you growing up in Glasgow.
1: Well, it was during the 80s and 90s when I was growing up, and uh, I mean, wasn't kind to people who didn't identify as straight back then, you know, if you were in any way different in your community, especially in North Glasgow, you were a target for bullies or, you know, getting things flung at you. And know, I don't even mean just other kids. I mean, adults in the street. I've had adults throw bricks at me in the street and like adults fronting up to me as like an 11 and 12 year old boy. It's crazy. The kind of, kind of tumultuous relationships that you have in the community when you identify as not of the norm. And it's not that, you know, I I didn't, you know, realise I was gay until I was much more into my teens, but it kind of made sense when I seen, because it made sense why people were making these faces at me, why adults were reacting in a certain way. I even had some people, friends at school, and I could see the way their mothers were looking at me, and I could hear the way they were talking about, or he's a bit weird, or I think he's this, I think he's that, because as a kid I was just having a great time, I didn't realise what feminine or masculine was, I was just... Playing around, and I didn't really play football. I wasn't your stereotypical lad on the streets. Like all my other friends were into football, but I wasn't. I was doing creative drawing and making films, and I ran a wee magazine. So I was doing things that were not of the norm. And pretty quickly, I did realise that something was different, and I started getting used to seeing the reaction from people, even including family members, who would give me that kind of look when they realised if I'd done something that was maybe a bit too exaggerated or strange in their mind and so when I eventually realised that like boys as I got older it made sense and then it really started to get bad because when it made the news to people on the street people were actually I mean adults were up and going I've heard you're gay is that true and I'm like "Eh, it's none of your business but you know why should I hide it and at the time when I was growing up in the 90s it was still considered a mental illness in Scotland to be gay so strange saying that now because it seems like such a long time ago but yet not a long time ago but yeah that's the the experience you know I had a mum who was very very forward thinking let's just say my mum was an Avon lady back in the 60s and she used to she used to sneak all the men who were gay into the Avon meetings in the church to get their stuff <laughs> my mum she had a drag queen for a, a, a group of people that were try to beat them up as well my mum was an entrepreneur before there was a term back in the 50s for it because my mum had me when she was older she was 46 when she had me she thought i was a bad curry so then she thought she couldn't have any more babies i popped along my mum was a good influence because she sat me down when i was about 11. she passed away when i was 12. but um she sat me down when i was 11 and said some people like boys some people like girls some people like both it doesn't matter to me and it shouldn't matter to you never be ashamed of who or what you are and at that point i was just i just wanted to go play i was only 11 so i was like met and i ran around but then years later it resonated and i thought That made sense and my mum must have known. I mean, I thought a lot of parents know these things and my mum must have known. But I I was so used to being protective of anything that might make me look strange or unusual. So I tried to blend in for a while and realised that it didn't really work because I didn't really want to be like everyone else. Most people in my neck in the woods were drunk on drugs. And I'm literally talking teenagers, 13, 14. It just wasn't for me. And quite strangely, recently I realised that... um, my old school i'm one of the only boys left from it because everyone all the other boys died of alcohol drugs addiction or suicide and i'm like whoa. and when i look back on that i realize that being creative actually you know helped me in a lot of ways because i'm still friends with my, my group of friends from school the girls that we met, i met at school i'm still friends with them now we are on a company together we're playing the same rock band we live together so it's I met a good, good group of people, and it shows you, but for the kind of grace of God or whatever you want to say, higher power, that could have been me mm. in that situation. But um, yeah, it, it was tough growing up in North Glasgow, but thank goodness it's changed now that I, our people are a lot more accepting, even in some of the churches. The churches are quite progressive. Um, I grew up in quite a religious household. I'm an atheist myself. Yeah, the household was quite religious, so when it was you know, talked about that I might be gay, the priest came round to have a word with me at my dad's uh, request. To talk to me and see what was
0: wrong with me. Just hearing you speak, Frank. You know, when I go back to when I was growing up, um, just outside Glasgow, actually, and coming into the city and visit, you know, going around the Polo Lounge. I'm sure, I'm sure you know the Polo Lounge in Glasgow, and seeing so many horrific things happen. It's great to hear that things are changing. But what an inspirational mum you! you had you know and and sorry to hear that you lost her so young but it sounds like she made a real impact on you that you were able to know that what was around you and being threatened but take the positive from that and go on with your own life that's really inspiring
1: absolutely I mean I, I know she wasn't around in my life for a long time but the impact that she did have, she was, she was a great woman. She, she was really one of these people who tried to help anybody. She was always trying to make the community better. She was very involved in the community through the church and things like that. But even though she had her faith, she wasn't in any way judging other people for anything at all. The way that um, you know, a lot of my family reacting even now, the fact that I'm gay, a lot of them treat me like, like I'm a child abuser or something. And you know there's a member of my family who actually was convicted of um crimes against a child. Who is treated better than I am at family reunions. Okay. And it's just all because of who I choose to love. It's just absolutely insane. And the way they see it is, oh, he done his time in jail, and you know, he, he's forgiven now and he made peace with God. And I was like, still a child abuser. So to me, I give that person no time, but I'm the one that's you know not to be invited to the weddings or the funerals or anything like that. And it's just it's horrendous because I had a quite close family. I had a lot of aunts and uncles that I was very close to, but the minute that kind of thing of my sexuality came up, and seeing it now, um, seeing kids who are eight or nine running around and, you know, who might grow up to be gay, they might, or they might not. It's, you know, who's to tell? But sitting as an adult now and seeing a child who's maybe over-exaggerated or, like, maybe running around and screaming and things like that to be perceived as something that's quite feminine, in no way would I think or well, shun that child. It would never come into my mind. And I certainly wouldn't grab that child away from my children and be like, oh, my, my boy can't hang about with that boy. That mindset, I find it so baffling. It's just horrible. And it's something I think, that will like stick with me, like the reaction of adults as a child that kind of, you know, pulling you, their kids away from you. Because like, kids are just kids. Kids don't have bias. They don't have any kind of, you know, negative feelings toward each other. They'll maybe fall out over an ice pole that'll be it. But, you know, kids don't have all this bias. It comes from parents mm. and the people that are around. And it just shows you the power of, Community to have such a positive effect in children. So, obviously, I've not got children at the moment, but I'm considering that and I'm thinking, you know, thank goodness our community has evolved. Thank goodness it's changed in such a short short space of time, thank goodness. But yeah, positive change for the better.
0: Yeah, it definitely sounds as if it has evolved and, and really quite quickly. Talking about being surprised earlier, and I don't think I'll ever stop being surprised or shocked at times by people's mindsets just what you've described there I just can't get my head around it
1: yeah I mean even now I do come across homophobia every now and again when people first meet me they don't automatically think I'm gay but some people when they realize I'm gay it's always the subject of religion that comes up and then that's the dividing point. and I don't judge anyone for their religion or who they choose to worship whatever it is that's up to them it's a very personal thing I feel but totally having an opinion about me and who I choose to love and the way I choose to live my life. It's as if, you know, I was like a, a suicide bomber. of the reaction I get sometimes from people, especially in the, the creative field, because the creative field has a lot of people from the LGBTQ plus spectrum within it. And yet I'm still like, so surprised that you're surprised that we exist and that we dare to be visible. It's kind of still in certain sections. You've got to do it on the down low. You've got to be quiet about it. And it's because... If you, I suppose, in a way, speak up about it, well, you're you're persecuting me against my religion. And I'm like, I'm not saying a word about religion. I'm just saying, you know, I'm gay and please don't shout at me and tell me to my face that I'm wrong for existing. It's just it's so strange. But like I said, few and far between that it does happen. But when it does happen, oh boy, it shows the small-mindedness of some people. It really does.
0: It really comes through. So what came next, Frank? It sounds like, you know, you survived... Glasgow, you survived the Scottish homophobia as well as the religion, which in my experience has always been a thing in Scotland. What came next?
1: Well, actually, I had an accident at home that left me paralysed. I actually was paralysed for two and a bit years and a piano fell on me. It makes me sort of like a cartoon rabbit when I say that. Um, just waiting for an acne safe to land on me one day. But yeah, the piano, my dad was fixing this grand piano in the back room and uh, he went to get some dinner. I think it was eight and a half, nine. It must have been nine. So yeah, I was getting ready for a bath. My mum was running a bath for me and my dad was in the front room. He was getting food and I was playing my Thompson tank engine train and it rolled off the tracks and it rolled into the room. And so I went into the room and as I went under the piano to grab the V train, I must have bumped. It was like books that were holding up the broken leg to the right height for my dad to set the leg and the whole piano came crashing down on me, but as it came crashing down, I was facing the other way and it twisted me the wrong way and, you know, ripped the skin from my sides, fractured my pelvis, broke my ribs, my leg. Yeah, I was quite badly injured. And uh, this was quite close to Christmas and there was an ambulance stripe on, so... We couldn't get an ambulance, so it was panic, so my dad just threw me over his shoulder and just walked to the hospital with me and my mum, and they got to the hospital and they were like, he's pretty injured, don't think he's going to walk again, and that was the beginning of a very long and painful process, uh, Well, they thought I would never walk just due to the damage, but um, I started being able to feel my feet, and my mum was saying, there's phantom pains, you know, and the doctor reassured her, um, and said he definitely won't be able to walk, but I started being able to move my feet, and so... I was let out of hospital and it was basically just being at home, and there was no kind of physio or anything like that. It was very basic. So, my mum had to make a kind of small bed for me in the living room because I couldn't get up and downstairs in our house. So, in the living room, we, we kind of Frankenstein bedroom, and my mum wheeled in the big front room from the dining room, and it's a big TV. Back in the days, the back of the TV was about six miles long, and she wheeled it in, and the only thing I could really do was just watch TV. I couldn't go to school, so my friends brought books from school, and I just started reading up on film and TV. And, um, you know, what went into making the shows that I was enjoying watching. So I was watching old shows that probably most of your listeners are not going to remember. Things like Drop Bags, Rainbow, um, all these classics. Um, Mr. Majika, The Stanley Baxter, The Monsters. Uh, so watching all these great classic shows. And then that kind of got me into the horror and fantasy genre, sci-fi stuff. And so then I started watching Drusner Silk Block H, old horror movies late at night. And so I started looking at the credits and thinking, what's a best boy, what's a gaffer, what's a director, what's a producer? And what goes into these jobs? How do these people come together and make these things that don't exist what they exist? Friends bought books from school, started reading up on it. And at this point, I was starting to go to therapy and learn how to kind of stand and stuff like that. And my mum said, you know, if you're that into making movies, I'll borrow your dad's friend's camcorder and we can maybe make some wee movies. So my mum borrowed the camcorder I still have this camp to this day. Apologies, Harry, whenever I get it back. But um, big, big, massive VHS camera, big, big VHS tape, big lens on it. And so I get my mum and my friends to push me around in my wheelchair. It was a great dolly for getting great shots. So I'd just been going around getting all these shots. And typically I'd make wee movies about people and things I saw around me. My friends, my family, even my cat were all stars in my films. And uh, I loved it. And it gave me a, kind of a way to kind of amplify things that were going on in the community. I'd make like little videos of the shopkeepers, the butcher Tony, the um, chip shop guy. Like, I'd just make these wee documentaries, and they were rubbish. Looking back on them now, they were absolutely rubbish. But
0: in whatever profession we're, we're choosing, we start somewhere, don't we? And then that expertise comes with the practice.
1: Oh, definitely. To still own that camcorder, what a treasure! It's Absolutely thick with dust, but it still works. It still works. I took good care of it. And I, I, I've actually got it. It stands in the office um, behind the, bit, the studio where we do the interviews. Just as a wee reminder that with the right mindset, you can do everything. There's no way I couldn't even walk. But I managed to get back on my feet. Yeah, I went to college, done uh, filmmaking. Had to drop out of college the first time round um, for caring responsibilities for my brother. My brother's disabled. So um, after my mum died, I became his full-time carer. My dad was kind of on and off the scene even still with us, they drinks a lot and don't as really much of a relationship with them, but he's out there. But yes, yeah, so me and my brother, you know, it's been us against the world and my friend has moved in to help take care of my brother and we've all been living together for 35 years.
0: Can I just say that just all sounds really heavy when you're talking about your story so far. And I know there's more to come, but I would just like to comment on how you're coming across as so positive and determined to reach that goal that you wanted so a uh, total admiration for you oh,
1: thank you i mean i know it, it, does, it does sound harrowing the way i'm kind of saying it and but i've got to say if it wasn't for my brother getting me through these things it's his resilience and his superpower of being an amazing human being that keeps me going there's been parts for me and michelle my co to producer and best friend where we've been like right let's just give up and then Alan's been like you can't give up you've got things to do and you know let, let's do it and he's he's got the kind of mental age for maybe eight to 14 years old but he's not daft like any means he's not daft and he's very experienced with life and sometimes the things that he says I'm like good point for good philosophy there so as much as I'm his carer he's probably mine as well and we take care of each other Absolutely. The sounds
0: of it, he's your driver and making sure that you keep on because he knows what you're doing is of value to other people.
1: Absolutely, and you know, he loves it. He comes on set with us and comes behind the scenes, he gets to meet celebrities and stuff like that. Funny story, actually, we were covering some sort of media event, I can't remember the name of it, and one of the guests was Christopher Lloyd, and he'd actually come down um, to promote a uh, something to do with Back to the Future the release of a new action figure or something like that Um, and he was promoting it and my brother actually managed to get to get to lunch with Christopher Lloyd and I didn't get to meet him on the day I was absolutely gutted because I was like where's Alan he's disappeared and um, and he's made really good friends he's actually really good friends with Lorraine Kelly even better than I am which is lovely everybody just they treat him like one of the family as well so he's He's really into the media stuff as well because he loves all his celebrity stuff and he reads all his gossip magazines and keeps his eye to the music industry much more than I do. But yeah, he loves it. that gets get to take him with me because um, a lot of the time, you know, if I was in a typical 95 job, obviously, I wouldn't be able to take my brother with me, um, you know, to a job. But he comes along when he actually um, he participates. He's actually active in the community. We both volunteer as well. So we do stuff locally for a lot of the volunteer groups we work with. And it's just, it's just great to spend time with him and actually have his philosophy in life because it's almost from his point of view having more of a kind of childlike mindset sometimes you get the true beauty of a moment and the true beauty of what life's about from him that wisdom that comes from it because he's not bogged down by the same things that I am and the same stresses and sometimes he's like do this and you'll get that and I'm like I wish I'd thought of that
0: You're absolutely right as, as we, we grow older we do get bogged down with things don't we whereas we forget that freedom of being a child and and not having that stuff around us, yeah, it sounds absolutely wonderful.
1: Oh, he's amazing. He's definitely kept me going through the years um, mm. and points where I've been quite down. And you know, there's been we've had more than our fair share of really bad hardships in our life. Um, obviously, when we lost my mum, that was one of the first. But then, in a very quick succession of time, we lost two of my uncles, my aunt, my cousin was murdered. It was it was all quite all a lot, and that was while I was still a preteen and a teen. And then Mm. into my 20s and stuff like that, we had a really bad neighbour dispute because we were gay. We'd get um, our windows smashed in every day. We'd get my boyfriend's head smashed in and up in intensive care. We've had a lot of really hard things happen, but Alan's resilience is what's kept me going throughout the years. And like I said, having that kind of support from a family member, as much as my family, just purely because I'm gay, because I don't have that support from them, it's made up by Alan because his support from in the, matter who I am, the matter what the am, is absolutely you know it's it's so kind of pure because it's genuine and it's from the heart. There's no airs and graces about it. It just is who he is, and you know I wouldn't change him for the world.
0: You know what you're getting from it is that authenticity, that truth, which I, I would imagine you really it's is so precious. I can hear it in the way you talk that you value that so much. Yeah, it's just just lovely. Talking about your, your filmmaking and starting off by reading books and finding out what all the different roles in film to the point that you actually want a BAFTA.
1: We found out by accident. We were still at college. We were still mm-hmm. students at the time and this really pissed off a lot of people in the industry who were like, who are these guys who have came from nowhere? If I remember right, it was for looking after mum and then obviously... When, when you're in a BAFTA, like it makes the news and stuff like that. So it was BBC News. And I remember we were sitting down, we were eating spaghetti bolognese because we were having a kind of traditional dinner. And I, I was cooking the dinner. So we're sitting having spaghetti bolognese, watching the news. And then they said Bad Pony Media. And this was in the days before you could put back TV or anything. And we were like, what oh, did you, what? And we, we kind of watched and then they played a clip of the film. And then they named us and we were like, oh, my God, what's going on? Have they made a mistake? Is this really us? And then the phone started ringing and like people were phone us going, we just seen you in the news. And we found out it's because um, they'd actually got the, it was either the phone number or the address wrong from the piece of paper that we'd submitted along with the film, so they couldn't get in touch with us. And then they tried to get in touch with us through our college, but we were on holiday at the time. And so the message never got passed on. So we found out by accident. And we were like, wow. They used the term disruptive at the time, which I was quite offended by because I was like, we're not trying to disrupt or just trying to do good and spread positivity. And then in, I think in a very short space of time, we won five or six awards all in the one go. And it just jet propelled us into having to run a media company because we didn't even have a name for the company at that time. We didn't have a company. And Michelle had said to me at the time, um, you know, we need to come up with a name for this company. And we were sitting in the business gateway at the time and um, who were sitting to help develop the business plan. And we knew nothing about business. This was back in 2008 maybe had no clue we hadn't even finished college yet so we were like what do we call the company and then michelle said you had a dream about a horse the dream is basically this horse i'm stroking its mane and it was talking to me and i'm like hello mr horse and the horse is like hi frank and i'm like how you doing the horse is like i'm not too bad how's you and i'm like i'm okay and the horse is like come on frank you need to get off your ass and get this media company rolling with michelle and charlie you need to take steps forward i was like i know mr horse there's loads of things in the way and you know got a lot of responsibility and there's a lot of things going on and the horse is like well if you don't no one's going to and then it back kicked me into a pile of shite yeah. and I woke up at that point and I jumped and I, I told Michelle about the dream and she was like how do you know it was a horse it could have been a pony and I was like wonder what the difference between a horse and a pony is so we were talking about that throughout the day and then Michelle had referred to that bad horse and then I said bad pony and she went that's the name of the company. Once named the company Bad Pony, so we named it Bad Pony Media. And How been...
0: interesting! Because when I read that, it was one of the one of the questions I had in the back of my mind to ask you: Where did that come from? But what a story!
1: <laughs> but I've got to say, like starting a company is daunting. Learning what to do is laborious. Learning taking the steps, things like that, it's a process. But it's one that we're, we're always still learning. Every day is a new school day, and by having the right team. The right people, good people. I must admit, give me a false impression of the industry because I thought the way that we work at Bad Pony Media, everybody in the industry works like that. And then when I went to work for like, the BBC or other broadcasters, we realised not everybody works the way we do. When you see people sobbing in corners and absolutely hating their job and really suicidal over things and deadlines, we don't work that way. Um, we're, we're quite a relaxed company, but we're quite proactive we realised that we were really lucky to have the family unit that we have at the company. And, you know, I would change anybody for the world. We've got a great team, brilliant group of people, and, you know, we're doing what we love.
0: It's fantastic to hear. So from BAFTA to Hollywood debut, tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, it's quite scary. Um, my Hollywood debut is going to be on, well, two projects, actually. One is called Evening of the Dead, which is a zombie feature film, which is going to be bringing some A-list talent um, from Hollywood. It's people that I grew up watching. Um, it's going to be bringing them together with local actors from the local area in Springburn and Glasgow, where I come from. So that is a script that I initially pitched to George Romero back in 2010. While I was still a student, it was my final year, and a three-year degree and pitched the script and George Romero got back and he said, Love this script. You know, it doesn't quite make the grade for this competition we're running, but I think you should run this as a feature film. So with George's blessing and a recommendation letter from him, I passed it around to a few Hollywood agents. A few of them passed on it, some of them liked it. And you go into something that's referred to in the industry as development hell, where studios are looking at it, trying to get actors together, trying to work in the script, passing it studio to studio. It just went in a circle for a while, just as we were about to get together to film, Covid hit, and that was another piece of delay to it. And then we got the green light um, just last year again to get rolling on it. So the pre-productions began, we've got a fantastic cast on that, and it's basically set in Scotland, it's basically in the world of George Romero's original Night of the Living Dead, and it's basically following the stories of a group of people from Scotland and their experiences that led up to the zombie apocalypse and it deals with a lot of topical issues like addiction knife crime and homophobia but the way it does it, that's the real horror, the zombies are pretty much just in the backdrop, the real horrors, people's lives, it explores people different definitions of people different demographics of people and just shows you that with a group of people anything's possible, which is the kind of lemma of most things that I do because Mm. it's my love to truth, um, as if you get a good group of people together anything's possible.
0: Absolutely and when can we expect to see that
1: so the pre-productions began, the post-production will begin uh, in 2025, so we're hoping it'll be ready for a Halloween night 2025. We're expecting to do a film festival can screening of that, and then there's some interactive elements to the film as well that incorporate um, live theatre, so we are hoping to actually take it into some of the, the venues across Scotland, Paris, Belgium, and maybe Japan as well, depending on how it goes down with the translation because um, translating wife theatre, that's quite a a challenge. And because this is going to be one of the first films of its type that combines wife theatre with feature film, we're breaking a lot of boundaries. Again, that word disruptive that people love to describe as us. So we're just waiting on the final dates. But um, you can find out more about the film. I think it's just deadmovie.co.uk and .com. You can find out information on the movie. And we are looking for zombies. We're not going to be cgi the zombies, we need real people, we need an army of the dead to come and join us in Scotland and film, we will get a beautiful location in North Wilburney it's a beautiful stately manor, check it out and you can be a zombie
0: Definitely, and we'll definitely keep up to date with that and when it's been released because I'm already following you so that is really exciting piece of work coming, Well, that you're involved in now and that will eventually hit the screen, so look forward to that, Frank there is one thing that I'd like to chat to you about it's going back to I guess back into that hardship genre and that was you were sexually assaulted by a woman and the reason I'd like to bring this up and talk about it is because when we talk about sexual abuse people automatically assume it's male to female so if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit of a background on that Frank I'd really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, um, it was 2015 and we'd just finished a project at the time for BBC Three. Um, we were doing a pilot, um, so with the cast and crew together at uh, one of our producers' houses and it was just a get-together just to say, you know, project is done, let's raise a glass and chat and network, because during the production we were so busy we didn't really get a chance to, to actually get together and have conversations, so we had loads of food and, like, you know, loads of nibbles and stuff like that, and we were going to sit down and watch what parts of the project you know, a couple of people had crashed the party um, from upstairs and we didn't really know who they were. And, I mean, I knew that people knew of them and they seemed to be getting on OK. But something was just... Uh, an alarm bell, for some reason, was in my head. But it's that way... If you come from an abusive background, and you'll know what I mean. You've got this initial hairs in the back of your neck on end, but you're being pleasant. A bit vigilant, and that's the kind of way I was. And I realised pretty quickly that there was something not quite right with this couple. The husband uh, ended up outside in absolute tears, wasted out his space on something. Um, And I kind of became like his kind of consult, trying to calm him down because there was a lot of tension between them. They started arguing, fighting, and everyone eventually at that point was like, who are these people? And realised that no one knew them. Everybody thought they were a guest of someone else. And then um, my friend at the time um, had said to me, listen, I think they're from upstairs don't really know who they are and then um, they actually made propositions towards my friends aunt and uncle to go up and have a threesome with them and a couple other people had said listen they have being very forward about sex mm. and being very I mean I'm not easily shockable but some of the things they were coming kind away of with both of them were quite predatory and I was like that's not right to say that so I distanced myself from the whole thing and then um, the woman seemed quite pissed off about this and she seemed she got really really handsy with me but I kind of just excused myself and was going off to do other things and again this made her really really angry so in the living room in the kitchen which was adjoined I'd been in the, the, the kitchen to get a drink and so she came up behind me and was just really not happy that I wasn't paying her the attention that she felt I should be giving her for whatever reason and then she basically just put her hand down my trousers and just Assaulted me from behind, and I was like, "What? What the utter? Is going on?" Mm. And as I turned around, she thought it was absolutely hilarious, and it was it, number one, really, really painful. Number two, I was absolutely shocked that someone done this. Never mind a woman who done this, and she was just so wasted and absolutely out of her face and thought This was hilarious. Just this homophobia getting launched at me. So obviously, this happened in a room full of people, and I was absolutely mortified because my trousers had broke absolutely mortified this happened in front of people. So I just stormed out the room. And so this woman started, you know, having a massive argument with Michelle and the other people in the room. And it just turned into absolute bedlam. And she attacked um, someone. She bit someone. Um, And it ended up with us and a group of other people were actually standing to try and stop her from smashing the house to bits and attacking people. And so we obviously phoned the police. And I was like, how am I going to tell the police how this all started? how did you put into words what this woman just done? You know, at this point I was, I was, I was bleeding and I was like, hurt and like, I was just like, I don't even know how I can put this into words to actually say to the police what she done. And I was in disbelief myself. And when the police got there, we dealt with it as kind of calmly as we could and we said, look, none of us are drunk. This person is absolutely wasted. I don't really feel as if they're in the right mind because they were hallucinating and seeing things. And it was really, really crazy. So in the end up, when I eventually told the police what happened, the police laughed and were like, are you trying to tell me that a woman done this to you? And you didn't. And I was like, yes. And they were like, and you didn't lead her on in any way. And I was like, no, I did not. And, you know, she she groped me and stuff like that. And she was like pulling at my nipples and stuff like that as well. And I was just like, I did actually shove her off me. It was really intense. And having to... And it's not the first time I've been in that position with a woman that's been quite handsy but I've never had something to that level happen and there's kind of like um, I kind of understand when women have said to me before you know I feel quite guilty because of what I wore because that night I was wearing quite a tight pair of trousers I had on a tight shirt and I actually felt like maybe I should never have made that choice to wear those clothes sounds, that- It
0: sounds almost like a, a lot of women in that position that you had some thought around this must
1: have been my fault do you know it was instantly what happened I instantly in the moment it happened actually thought have I led her on I mean I'm gay I've I've never been interested in women at all but I was like have I led her on is it something I've done and I had to have a really harsh talk with myself about how I was almost making dispensation for what she'd done but it was it was violent it was very painful it wasn't Sexual in a way, I've got to say as well, because obviously, I mean, I'm gay, but from her point of view, that isn't an act of sexualization. That's not because you're attracted to that's because you're trying to dominate someone and tell them who's boss. And it took me a couple of years to get my mind around that because I know it in the grand scale of what like maybe like a, a really violent rape, something that happens like that, that's prolonged. This was seconds, do you know what I mean? Under a minute, but. It really left me really shook to the point where I was questioning everything about myself, and I actually got into quite a dark place. Mm. Um, even the fact that I went to the police um, and the fact that I did because I thought I need to face charges because that's not normal behaviour. Number one, that's not normal behaviour. Number two, she did to someone else, and you know, actually, as it was going through court, I, I noticed through doing my own research on the person, she was actually already in the sex offenders list for something not to me, but to, well, I kind of went into too much detail, but she was already on a list for something even more nefarious. And I was like, Jesus, this is not a normal person I'm dealing with. And then throughout the actual court case, I realized that even worse because her and her family started absolutely terrorizing my family. It was getting to the point where we were getting our windows banged um, in the middle of the night. We were getting the door kicked. People were trying to smash the windows. I was getting followed. Um, People were turning up at my work. And, you know, it's not even so much the woman herself. It was her mother that was really, you know, had it in for me for how dare I press charges against her daughter. How dare I try and ruin her daughter's life. That's the way she saw it. Mm. And I I didn't engage in any way, but I felt like contacting the mother and going to listen this isn't normal to do this, mm. that is not a normal thing for your daughter to do, Can you maybe have a walk with her What you know, but yeah. then I realised the mentality I was dealing with, with the mother as well, and then um, it actually got to a head where the police actually knocked my door one night, it was about 11 o'clock at night, the door went, it, and the police were like, Mr. McGowan, we'd like you to pack a bag and come with us. First of all, you're not in trouble for anything, you've not done anything, but for your safety, we have to remove you from this house. And I, I was half a I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, we believe you're going through this court case. Because it was, it was a prolonged court case. It was two years in court. Um, and it was a really long case because it was very, very complex in terms of, you know, no one, a female had never been charged with mm. penetrative sex before to a man. It's just a case that I hadn't been heard of. Yeah. And the police said, yeah, well, basically what's happened is there's been X amount thousand flyers distributed around the north of Glasgow with your address on it your name, your, your likeness, saying that you and your family members who live here are convicted sex offenders against children. I was like, what? It was just absolutely unbelievable.
0: I cannot even begin to start thinking about what would that be like?
1: It was horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And it, you know, So it,
0: you had to leave your home and go somewhere else?
1: Yeah, I had to go to a safe house because um, they were so concerned for my life because... There's that part of the dark web that does. They basically go after Peter Thousand and convicted sex offenders. Yep. My name had appeared on these databases because of this poster. Now the poster was made to look like an official police Scotland poster. It was, and it was so well done that the police actually had, you know, trouble looking at it and realizing it wasn't real. The first thing they done was check the records to see if there's any record of it. And obviously, there was no record. It was falsified. The, the, reference code was fake and that's when they were like we need to get you out of your house and I was like but we'll hit my family my brother I, I can't just leave them here They'll, we'll deal with that we'll give supervision to the household but we need to for their safety and yours get you out of here and you know I spent the best part of two months away from my family away from my projects away from work away from my community work and just it completely uprooted my life and at the time as well, and the bad timing of it, I was I was launching a new business that was focused on recycling old toys for children. And I was working with Marie Curie at that. So Marie Curie had to say, listen, we can't go ahead with the launch of this, because it was for charity. And um, just yeah. due to the timing of it. And it was just absolutely just horrendous. And my family, it put them through absolute hell. But um again, we were quite surprised. And you know, you asked at the beginning about the time that I was surprised this was one of them. The door went one night. And it was a group of the neighbours who'd all got together. So you can imagine the kind of, in my head, I wasn't there for it, but in my head I'm imagining it's like the Simpsons with the burning torches at Homer's house because he's done something. So my sister answers the door. She's like, hello. And they're like, we're here to say um, we absolutely support Frank. We don't care if he's okay. We don't care what you are. We know that this isn't true. We know that this done not ruin your lives. Um, We absolutely stand with you. So tell Frank that the neighbours here have got his back. And my sister was like, she couldn't believe it. She said she, she don't really burn the house down. But the fact that the, the community came together to say, listen, this woman is not going to win with this smear campaign or whatever she's doing. But it, it made different pages of the paper, which was just absolutely unbelievable. And um, even more unbelievable than that, one of the newspapers, I, I won't mention who, because they actually made a settlement in the end, um, but the newspaper... In question actually published the poster in full without redacting my address which then published that to thousands of people across the uk with my address on it and it's not so much you know he's a pedophile on this address because the article did say it was falsely accused mm-hmm. but the fact that all my exes random stalkers that have followed the band for years people that you know were obsessed with the production company now knew where i lived so we were like we're going to have to move it was just an absolute nightmare so it was all over quite a difficult period. Again, because of my friends, the cast members who were at the party that saw the attack, everyone turned up at court and everyone had a unified front to go, this is not okay. The way that the defence saw it was, you know, they were trying to trivialise it, say, oh, well, this, it's not exactly a rape. it's not, it doesn't no matter, you can't do that to someone, that is absolutely disgusting. You don't walk up to someone and do that. Imagine it the other way around and I walked yeah. up to her and done that. Jesus Christ, I'd be on a register and eventually, thank goodness, she ended up convicted um, and on the sex register and, you know, away and not mm. having to be worried about again. There's points now and again where it does come up and, you know, it's, it's affected me. There's days where, I know that sounds ridiculous because it, was, it wasn't a prolonged attack, but there's days where I get really nervous going in a bus. I especially get nervous if I see someone that looks like her. Just my, my body just because I'm and it's, it's even daft things, but even if I smell like a perfume that smells like mm. perfume shadow, on, it triggers it. It's all these things that are nothing to do with it, but to do with it. Yeah. And um, it just, oh my God. I, so I've, I've kind of tried to use it proactively to be a voice for victims of male sexual assault. Because actually, I know three or four men personally who've been sexually assaulted by women. Um, mm. And they're all gay men who've been sexually assaulted by women. One friend of mine um, was actually drugged and raped. Um, by a woman that was desperate she was going to have his children. She drugged them to make sure that he would be up for the challenge and just kept them locked up in a, a room. And her plan was to, basically to, to sue him for child support. And I'm like, these kind of things, it's something you'd see in an episode of Desperate Housewife*. So, yeah, Dennis the
0: there. Horrific, tragic things are happening. And, you know, while you're talking, Frank, I'm also thinking you know, have any of our listeners gone through something similar. And if they want to get in touch with you, we'll give you, give those details out at the end. And not to take away any of those hardships that you've come through, but I'd just I just like to ask you, because being a fellow Scot, just like to ask you a little bit about your, your golf playing up in St Andrews. It's a place <laughs> that's dear, very, very dear to me. I love that in neighbouring Carnoustie. So I think you've you've played golf with a few celebs up there.
1: Yeah, um, I get invited to go up. Uh, it was Bill Murray's birthday, and we were surprising him for his birthday. So I got to go up there and play golf really badly because I'm terrible at it. Um, I'm not sporty at all in any capacity, but you know, thank goodness I get one or two points above Bill. So. Wasn't totally brassy, but um, <laughs> again he does it for the fun I was there for the fun it was a good cause, we had a laugh and I, I didn't realise there's all these pictures of me from St Andrews and Ryan Reynolds is standing behind me and I'm like, I could have had a conversation with Ryan Reynolds, like I didn't realise it was standing, but I was so focused on the game and trying to figure out what holds what and what means what, because I am not sporty, I, I, I didn't know a thing about golf I was winging it, um, but so focused in the game, Ryan then I was standing behind and I didn't notice. Damn oh it.
0: gosh. <laughs> <laughs> the memories, Frank. So if you had anyone message to leave our listeners with, what would that be, Frank?
1: I think the message I would love to leave your listeners is that no matter how you feel in a moment, um, no matter whether you know it's you're at a point of desperation or you know, maybe contemplating life, whether you want to be here. I've been in those dark places myself for a variety of reasons. And my brother, again at the time, had said to me, listen, tomorrow's another day. Sleep on it. See how you feel. Don't give up. And then having someone like my brother who's had so many physical and life challenges, um, he had to learn how to walk again at 50. He hit 50, had to learn how to walk from scratch again. He He was starting to lose his eyesight. He was starting to lose his hearing all of these things and he never gave up and you know he worked really really hard and it shows you that you know bad things happen in life but find the good in something find the good in a moment whether it's like a blue sky or whether it's a Bob tweeting find something in that moment to keep you grounded and realize that it's not forever and that you know take small steps small steps towards whatever it is you want and if you want change big, if you want big change to happen in your life Take small steps, mm-hmm. and it's the easiest thing to do. And no matter how dark a position you're in, it's not forever. And you know, you might be feeling in a dark place, but everyone's been there, everyone will be there. You might be there again, but it's about how you how you handle it and how you take those steps out of it Mm. because and again I I say this to anyone out there if you're feeling down if you're feeling depressed you know there's plenty of resources out there Um, have a conversation get it off your chest even if if it's to me I don't know you and I'm nobody you know what I mean you can message me in confidence tell me how bad the day you've had Um, you know I'll always get back to you and you know by having these conversations and realising that everybody feels like this, we realise it's so normal, we all feel so abnormal for not feeling normal, that that's what the normal is because we all feel like that.
0: What a fantastic message, Frank. And same goes for me. Anyone struggling out there, feel free to get in touch. Uh, so your contact details, Frank, what I'll do is I'll put them in the description when the episode goes live uh, because I know there's a, a few places people can contact to and what I'd just like to say is thank you so much for coming on the show. What an interesting, inspiring conversation.
1: Well, thank you for having me on the show. And, you know, thank you for the work you do eh, as a coach and therapist, because like, you're one of the people out there who's creating positive change in people's lives and actually doing it. And without you and the work you do, the world would be a much darker place. So thank you for the work you do and just keep doing it and keep being awesome and keep on with the show. I will be listening in
0: oh fantastic thank you so much frank and i'd also love to thank the listeners and tune in next monday for the next episode of let's talk all things lgbtq thank you